Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Weldon Johnson is back from Bermuda, which means the gang is all here, and we've got so much to talk about. The Lausanne Diamond League last week was on Friday. We almost saw American Alicia Monson win a loaded women's 3,000 meters. We did see Jakob Ingebrigtsen put on a show and run a world-leading 3.29.05 in the men's 1,500 meters. Noah Lyles kept rolling with another victory, and the women's 100, which we were all totally pumped for, totally disappointed. We'll recap our lingering thoughts on that, and we'll also preview the Brussels Diamond League, the final regular season Diamond League of 2022. That's on Friday. Will we see another American record attempt by Grant Fisher, who has entered in the 5,000 against a trio of world championship medalists from this year? Plus, Shakari Richardson is back, and she's racing Shelly Ann Fraser-Price in the Women's 100. Lots of storylines in that one. And then we ponder some of the big questions right now in the sport. Should World Athletics change the schedule for Jakob Ingebrigtsen so he can triple at the 2023 Worlds? Should the Diamond League give Carsten Warholm and Marcel Jacobs a buy into the final in Zurich? And is 1.46 a good 800-meter time for Hobbs Kessler? All that, plus we're going to talk about Nico Young coming out. The NAU star announced on Sunday that he's gay. This is Jonathan Galt. I'm joined by the co-founders of Let's Run.com and the co-hosts of this podcast, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, I'm glad we're all together again for the podcast. It's been a while. How are you guys doing this morning? So pumped to be here, John. As you can tell in my background, I'm in the office, I think for the second time in a month. Most people don't want to work. All I've wanted to do is get back in this office. My son is starting school one hour tomorrow, but then Thursday. So I'll be back in more regularly. I like my monitors here. It's just much easier to work. Glad Weldon's back from vacation. We've all been cycling our vacations. So this will be a great podcast. But what might even be better is what we're doing next Tuesday, a live show with another white Ivy League man. This one much more famous than us, though. Frank Shorter, 50 years ago, he won Olympic gold in the marathon. We'll talk to him about that, his career, and more. 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. On Tuesday, Eastern, Eastern time, New York, New York time. So make sure you go to Let's Run to catch that live. If you got questions? You can put it in the chat box, or you can email them to us now at podcast at let's run dot com, or pick up the phone eight four four. Let's run eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. Speaking of the phone, guys, fake Josh Kerr has called in. I have not listened to it. I'm going to play it live on the podcast today. We'll react live to the fake Josh Kerr. And Guys, you guys did a good job last week. I'm in Bermuda on vacation. Tourism board didn't reach out to me. I was a little disappointed. Expected a little VIP treatment because I'd mentioned, hey, in Bermuda, I'm, I'm coming. You know, they're big in track and field now. And... Listened to the regular podcast, got caught up on the Euros. That was great. And then the Supporters Club podcast, 
we need to promote this more on on, uh, on the homepage and stuff because that's how I got up to speed on Lausanne. Tremendous Diamond League meet. I'm on the runway taking off in Bermuda. I can't remember what some of the early races were, but there were some pretty good races. Great Holloway got beat, but I'm a, I'm a you know I'm a mid distance guy. Men's fifteen hundred starting. Anytime Jakob Ingerbetsen's racing, you got to be all in. And my daily allotment of high speed internet goes out. I'm like, damn it! And then we're stuck on the runway for a long time. Then I get a text from John Alicia Monson. OMG! And I'm just like, what did Alicia Monson do? And I'm trying to think, like, what did she do? I think on vacation, I'm not even sure what race she was running. I think I might have known there was a 3K. It's weird. She's a long distance. But a 5K, you probably think she gets beat. I'm, not, I'm just trying to figure out, like, she must have won some big race. But you guys recapped it all on the Supporters Club show. But I think we need to talk about it now. I mean, five years from now, is, is this going to be a race we're talking about when Alicia Monson sort of arrived on the world stage? I think that's a fair question. We talked about this on the Supporters Club podcast. Is she now one of the best distance runners in the world? Because you got to look at the women she was running with and the women she beat in this race. So she lost to Francine Nienzaba, but by one hundredth of a second. She ran 826.61. Monson did. Nienzaba ran 826.60. Monson is now number two. Sorry. Yeah, Nienzaba 826.80. Monson was 826.81. And Monson's now number two on the all-time U.S. outdoor list behind only Mary Decker Slaney. But look at who she beat. Beatrice Chebat just medaled at the World Championships in the 5,000. Safan Hassan, reigning Olympic champ in the 5 and 10K. Margaret Kipkemboy just medaled at Worlds in the 10,000. Those are the three women directly behind. And then Laura Muir in seventh place, who just medaled at Worlds in the 1,500. Monson put a move on them and dropped them at the bell. Now, is it possible we're looking a few years down the road and we're saying, oh, remember that crazy meet where Alicia Monson almost won a Diamond League? Like, whatever happened to her? I don't think so. When you get to running and you kind of show up and against some of the big athletes, when you, you can't fake 826. 826 is really fast. Now... Is it enough? Is she going to win a medal one day? Who knows? But like right now, I think you kind of have to say, yeah, she is one of the best long distance runners in the world. I mean, you take it to a field like that in a Diamond League meet. I guess, you know, that's how you define best. But for sure, like she's firing in all cylinders. I'm kind of trying to figure out the split. Why couldn't anybody stay with her? Because I just expect them to beat her. Then I rewatched the race. And I mean... She had it, essentially. Or you guys, the, the letting up at the end might have made a difference. I don't know if you lean, if that makes 0.01 difference or not. She did not lean. She slightly let up, put up her hands. Probably cost her the race. But that wasn't my big takeaway. My big takeaway is, wait, she's dropping Safanasan. Okay, maybe she twists her ankle. Laura Muir. All of these people. It, it's by far the best performance by her. You know, I... In the big scheme of things, though, is A26 that fast? But when you take on a high-quality field like that and you gap them, you're doing something, there's no way everybody was just off. No, now I do think there is a couple things to note 
Nian Saba, this was her first race back after having a stress fracture in her foot. She's going to be better than this, I expect, next year. Perhaps a lot better. Safan Hassan, we saw at Worlds, she's not quite back to where she was. Well, she wasn't close to where she was at the Olympics. But she had... She didn't start training until May. So I think those two are probably going to be on a different level next year. And that means, you know, if they they both run the 5K, there might only be one medal up for grabs. But these other women, Chibet, Kip Kemboy, I mean, to be able to go up and drop them, I don't think they haven't, they haven't shown they're at the sort of untouchable Hassan Niansaba level. So that to me, if I was an American distance fan, that's what I would be excited about. It's like, Okay, yeah, I don't think she's ever going to be untouchable, completing for gold, but that's a really hard, like, high bar. And I do think she could be a medal threat. And in the 5,000, which is an event the Americans have always done really terrible at, the women's 5,000 in the Worlds and the Olympics. So there's now, there's definitely hope. This is the brightest hope there's been for a while. Look, Walden says I'm always negative. That's what a decade of college coaching will do. Makes you realize about all genetics. But let's start by giving an apology to Miss Monson a little bit. I mean, I played up her letting up and costing herself the win. That's all I could throw focus on when this race ended initially. I've now watched the replay five or six times since we recorded the Friday 15. Look, she did, I mean, she did lean back a little bit right at the line. But the main thing was she didn't lunge at the line. She didn't lean. I still think that cost her the win. But this was not – she didn't really slow down until the last two meters wasn't like an Emily Enfield thing. But John asked me then on Friday, is she one of the best runners in the world? I mean, it depends on what you mean the best. Like, I mean, I'm still into the theory, except for Jacob, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, about the genetic superiority of the East Africans, which drives well to the nuts. But I, I said no at the time. She was 13th in the World Championship 10,000. That's her better event. Somehow she wins this race. I don't know how she did it. Like, I'll repeat well, it again. She didn't win. Almost won. Well, she should have won. 300 meters to go. I'm like, I, I, I've seen her doors get blown off at the U.S. level, John, when it comes time to kick. So I'm like, these Africans are just lined up around her. But then with 300 meters to go and she got like three or four meters on them, I'm like, wow, they must really not respect her. They're just toying with her. And then with like 150 to go, I'm like, I, I, I it flipped the switch. Alicia, go, go, go. You got this. And then I just saw in the last 50 meters, I was like, no, no, don't let up. She's coming. Run for the line. Lean. And then she put her arms out and lost. But I guess she has to be considered someone that could medal. But I kind of feel like, I don't know, people Moa Med fans are probably going to be mad. Like, they maybe they medal, if not everybody. Is she one of the three best runners in the world if everybody shows up at the 5,000? And is in peak, peak form? Absolutely not. But that's not the way the sport works. People were injured. They're running events. They're having maternity leave, et cetera. But, John, let's look at the women's 5,000 from – well, we uh, maybe we sh- should we start with the 10,000? From Eugene? What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, do you think she's a better chance to medal in the 10? I would have thought initially, yes, but she was 50 seconds behind. I mean, Gade runs 30.09. O'Berry – 3010, Margaret Kip Kimboy, 3010. Now, Monson beat Margaret Kip Kimboy in this rate. Safana San, 3010. 
Like 3010, all these times are faster than the American record. Rahel so- Daniel, 3012. Ajitai, 3012. So that, that's a tough one. All right, let's go to the 5,000. Hudson didn't, didn't come back for the 5,000, wasn't in that. But, you know, it, it was a, a slow race. Gudolf Sagay. She's beaten Monson John fourteen forty six. Beatrice Chibetto, fourteen forty six silver medal. Monson just beat her. Beatrice Chibetto also won the Commonwealth Games. Diawat Siam, fourteen forty seven. Margaret Kip Kimboy, another person. What's in that Gaday, fourteen forty seven. So I mean Kimboy beat Gaday, who Monson beat Kim Kimboy, Safana San, fourteen forty eight. I just don't think how she's gonna beat Sagay, Siam, Hassan if they're in it. But Definitely could medal. You know, it, it's kind of everything has to align. Well, here's the thing that I'm sort of struggling to square is she closed. So her last kilometer was pretty quick. It was actually faster. I've got the kilometer splits here for Worlds. Her last kilometer in Lausanne was 244. The last kilometer in World Championship Final, leader to leader, was 245.60. So in the 5,000? In the 5,000. Yeah, and that's pretty so, good because that was a tactical five thousand. It was only fourteen forty six. Right. So she was really able to ratchet up the pace from a couple laps out, but on the last lap, the winning the winner was good off the guy. She closed in fifty nine nine, and she ended up winning by half a second over Beatrice Chibet, and then Siam was like another half a second behind that. Monson closed in 63 seconds of her last lap, and I'm not trying to take anything away, but we've seen her get crushed by Carissa Schweizer at USA Outdoors in the 10,000 earlier this year. We saw Elise, sorry, Ellie Puria ran away from her late at USA Indoors in the 3,000 back in February. I just think to medal in a 5,000 meter final at the world championships, you probably have to be able to close in about 61, I would say. And I'm not convinced Monson would, Monson could do that. I do still think she's kind of a push it from the front. Now, if you, if you, if she can take her final kilometer from Lausanne and throw that into the world championship final and you're closing in 244, hell yeah, maybe you have a chance. But that last lap, I mean, that would be my sort of, my concern. Let, 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 let's stop this insanity. I said no initially, and I got to say no again. Now, Ritz is so high in her talent. Maybe she keeps improving. She's got a 407, 1500 meter PB. Weldon's like, but she beat all these people. But yeah, look, Nian Saba, I mean, who knows if she'll be allowed to run in the future, but she just missed two months with a stress fracture. Um, Hassan, I thought she was going to dominate this race because I thought she was coming to form, but Hassan took three steps onto the infield twisted her ankle on a curb and looked very visibly injured to me running the last 200 meters. So uh, I, I just, I'm not sure Monson's even, if you put him in a 3000, I know she beat, uh, like, where do you think she runs? We, we train all year. We have a 3000 in America. W- where does she finish? I think it's a best third. What do you mean? I mean, she just beat Elise Cranny. Carissa Schweiz is injured. Who's beating her? Puri is not the same. Her season's over. I know Puri a medal at World Indoors. Like, right, this is che- causing me to reevaluate things. Do I think Carissa Schweizer could beat her or Ellie Puri if they all get in like perfect shape? Maybe, but like right now, I think it's clearly Monson. Yeah, I'm not saying right now. I'm saying if they all train and get in top form. 
Yeah, I think probably. Third. Look, this run, she's done very well since coming out as a pro. We had Ritz on the podcast a year ago, and he, and he was so bullish on her. This is before she made the Olympic team anything. Go in our archives, listen to it. We had her on the podcast as well. In the past, we've had, what, two women win Diamond Leagues in 3Ks? Lauren Fleshman versus Waterfield and Katie Mackey. Pretty watered downfield, right? Uh, and Shannon Robery, it's three. But they were all against very watered downfields. This was legit. Yes. So, if, you got to think more highly of her. Do I think she's a medalist? No. Could she be? I'm going to start reassessing. You know, I'm going to get very excited every time she runs. Yeah, from here she's out, given Americans permission to dream in an event where historically they have had zero success, which is the women's 5,000. And it also makes that rivalry with Cranny and Carissa Schweizer, they're all sort of similar ages coming up together. That's pretty exciting now as well. I don't think there's that much left to talk about Lasan. I mean, one of the things we talked about Jakob Ingebrigtsen, I think we, I just wanted to praise his consistency. We did mention this on the Friday podcast, if you're a Let's Run.com Supporters Club member. But all these other 1,500 guys, we've seen at different points in the season, they have run well, but most of them have, have had at least one stinker. You know, Albel Kip saying didn't medal at Worlds or at Commonwealth Games, but he comes up, he gets second here in a season's best of 329.93. He still wasn't close to Jakob, but he ran well. McSwain had struggles early, still getting back from whether it was COVID or his reaction to the vaccine, whatever was derailing him. It's good to see him back in form, 330.1. But like Josh Kerr, he had he didn't get it done at Worlds. And then you go further down, Timothy Chariot, he was only seventh in Lausanne. Oli Hoare, who didn't make the final at Worlds, then goes to Commonwealth Games, wins it over a stacked field. But now here in the Diamond League, he fades all the way back to 337.8 after leading this race. He wound, winds up in 12th place. It's just that, to me, reaffirmed how good Jakob is and the gulf between him and pretty much everyone else. I know he got beat by Whiteman the only time they raced in the 1500 this year. But I think in a Diamond League race, you put Whiteman in there, Hopefully we see it in the Diamond League final. I think Jakob beats him as well because he has the extra rabbiting help for a little bit longer. Just that he doesn't run bad races. Even his two defeats this year in the 1500, World Indoors, he still rang fast, still got the silver medal. World Outdoors, he still runs 329 and gets the silver medal. And then when he's on his game, he's pretty much untouchable. So I'm just really impressed for someone to be that consistent. He's amazing. I'm not sure he's untouchable. He he lost worlds. I'm still think he might be vulnerable in a 1500 meter championship 1500 where he's doing a lot of the leading. Uh, but agreed, look, agreed. Uh, and I'm fascinated, looking forward to that because, but he, yes, I mean he runs 329 low when he does all the work. In this race, he runs 329 flat when he has some help and he's probably, but he's still probably a little bit tired at worlds. But he won pre-classic 349. He won Bizzle at 346. He doubles at Worlds, one gold, one silver. He doubles at Euros. He's bringing it. But you said after this that you he's done everything he's you wanted him to do this year. Not for me at all. This is the guy that is a 5,000 guy. He said he's a 5,000 guy. He hasn't broken 13. I want him going for a fast one. I understand that in the last two hours – Wait, you said he hasn't broken 13? Well, I guess this year. You're in 1248 last year. Exactly. So I want him to take a crack at it. You told me right when we started recording this podcast 23 minutes ago that 
the Brussels start lister out. I'm going to throw a fit if he's not in the 5,000. Well, he's not in the 5,000. What? He's not running Brussels? No. Which also means he won't be running the Diamond League final because he hasn't run a Diamond League 5,000 this year. So that's a little bit disappointing to me. The world's best 5,000-meter runner doesn't run a fast one this year. But, hey, he's had an amazing year. I love Jakob. But I just really wanted to see that, see what he could do. I'll admit it would be nice, but people have been asking him about world records. He was asked about this in the pre-Lausanne press conference. Like, would you go after any world records? He just doesn't think he's there at this point. And would it, if he goes to Brussels and he smokes everyone and runs like 12.42, would it get me excited? I'd like to see that. Yeah, it would be nice. But I also don't want to bash one of the guys who has raced, you know, as pretty much as much as anyone who's the best in the world in their event. He goes out there a lot. He doubled at Euros. He ran a Diamond League last week. He is running the Diamond League final next week. If he wants to skip one Diamond League race, I can understand that. I'm not going to criticize him for not running a 5K, especially when he's running the 1500 Diamond League final in Zurich. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not criticizing him. And I didn't want him running the 5,000 in the Diamond League final anyways because it's not on a real track. It's a city meet. Uh, by the way, Sydney McLaughlin, Lavone, or whatever your new last name is, where are you? I think Mo, where are you? The sport could use you competing. Thank you. It's McLaughlin. McLaughlin. But two points of order in this 1500. Because uh, when you're on a plane and stuff and not following the sport day to day, like I didn't realize Timothy Chariot was in that race. I did not see him in the race until afterwards. I looked at the results and I'm like, oh my God, is the party over? Like just total non-factor. I, I'm starting to think the party's over for him. What, what do you mean? He got silver. He almost won the Commonwealth Games. I mean, he's he's not as good as he was in 2021 or 2020 or 2019. We've known that all year, but he ran really well at Commonwealths and almost won that race. I don't, I don't think the party... I mean, what do you define what does the party over mean, Weldon? He used to be one of the top guys, like... The t- he dominated the, the event, John. Dominated the event. Now he's yeah. like getting sticks or something in a diamond league. You're just like not even on the screen. I'm like, where the hell was he? I didn't even see him. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's not news though. When he got like six at worlds, like, I guess he worlds he was going for the lead and trying to pass Yaka, but he was six at worlds. The party's been over this year. Like he had one of the he was unbeatable, essentially for about four years on the circuit. That's not going to last forever. Like, he had a really good run at the top, but Jakob's the guy now. I guess, well, Whiteman is the world champ. But Hey, John, what years was he on top in the circuit? 2018 and 2019 and 2020. Well, 2020, there was only one race, but definitely 2018 and 2019. Hmm. What happened at the end of 2019? He won the world title. No, his training partner was busted pop for drugs, drug suspension. Okay. 2021, he was still dominant through the Olympics. He got silver medal at the Olympics, and he won the Diamond League final over Jakob. He ran 328 in the Olympic final. So I'm just saying, he was still very good in 2021 after his training partner did not get popped. His training partner was suspended for whereabouts failures. He did not fail a drug test, just to be most accurate here. That's, yes, thank you for the accuracy. But since since he's come back from his drug suspension, that guy has been no good, absolutely done nothing. 
Elijah Manning go away. Can someone look up his his best time since returning from drugs suspension from his whereabouts suspension? Nothing. Now, I'm not saying Timothy Chariot's on drugs. I'm just saying I know that there's some people who think the sport's dirty, and that's that. And what I said really isn't fair because in 2028, I mean, excuse me, in 2020, this is what Timothy Chariot did. Monaco, 328.45 win. Stockholm, 330.25 win. And then he won the Kip Cannell meet in Nairobi at 334 at altitude. So he was pretty damn good then. Um, but just trying to be fair, trying to be fair. I'm, I like to play devil's advocate. Um, there was one other thing that was good about this 1500. Stewie McSwain's really struggled this year with COVID. Second fastest time ever for him. I also thought it was positive that Josh Kerr ran 332. It may not be what he wants. I think what he was fourth or fifth in this race, sixth maybe. But yeah, no, that was a good rebound. Like he was sick at Commonwealths, and he gets up there. He's contending again. So solid run for him. Let's play the voicemail. We haven't heard it, but the fake Josh Kerr is called in. Let's hear it. Real quick, people were wondering, oh, what happened to Ollie Hoare? I was impressed with Ollie Hoare. He took the race, tried to take it to him. Now he blew up. It it happens. But I, lead it, running like that, running in front, he won the Commonwealth. He came in here and he's like, I'm going to put on a show. Now, maybe he's still got some ways to go with his fitness for that totally to match up with his confidence. What do you, what do you mean ways to go with his fitness? He just ran 330 at the Commonwealth Games. He's fit. He just had a bad race. It's all right. But I'm saying to go in and try to dominate Jakob Ingebrigtsen and lead from the front, he's not there yet. But that's what he tried to do, and he blew up in a costume. So people are like, oh, what happened? It must be too long of a season. I'm like, no. He was supremely confident in this race and got in a little over his head. But fake Josh Kerr has called in. It actually was last week, guys, but I was on vacation. Didn't pass it on to you. So we're going to come after this race. I agree with you. You're making a good point. Like He probably thinks Jakob might be a little bit tired from Europeans. I've had more time to recover. I'm going to take it to him from the front and see if he's vulnerable and try to take him down. Because he talked about trying to take down Jakob. And you know, I'd much rather see him do that than sit in the pack and run 333. Okay, here it is. Fake Josh Kerr. Hey, boys, it's a fake Josh Kerr here. There's no bigger fan of the world's famous ledgerun.com message boards than the fake Josh Kerr himself. But some of those posters need to stick to their six-minute miles, their six-figure incomes, and their hot model wives. Like, put some respect on Clayton Murphy's name. Clayton Murphy won a bronze medal in the Olympics final. It was won by, let me check, David M.F. in Rhodesia. You asked Wayne Solomon and the bison himself, Simmons, how that works out. Now, granted, that was the greatest 800 metres ever run. But still, Clayton won a medal. And he made another team, and he made another final. Just like the fake Josh Kerr, I'm going to make another team, and I'm going to make another final. Difference is, I'll win a medal, and it'll be at the expense of Ingebrigtsen in making history. You mark my words. And hey, Bob to Baltimore, thanks for sharing concern for Rojo. Do me a favour, will you, Bob? When you go hand him that cheque so they go fund me, you want to mention that you like the fake Josh Kerr, and maybe it's about time the boys sent me a couple of t-shirts. Extra large, of course. All right, boys, we'll talk soon. Cheers. So I believe he was referencing a message board thread from a couple weeks ago that was essentially saying Josh Kerr is the same as Clayton Murphy. It's like they show up, 
they medal at their first Olympics, and then they just sort of think they're going to tail off and not do that much. He's like, it was, I think the thread was sort of posited as if this is sort of a bad thing. And I'm like, first of all, meddling at the Olympics, like that's pretty much the peak of our sport. Obviously the gold medal is the peak, but to get a medal at the Olympics, that means you've had a successful career. Uh, and they both did it in their first Olympics. But then, yeah, Clayton Murphy, the 800 is just a really hard event to medal at. Unless you were Rhodesia-level talent, consistently meddling in that event's really hard. Clayton's gotten back to two finals since then, the World Championship Final 2019 and the Olympic Final in 2021. They just didn't go that way. But I think he was sort of in the... He would have been in the medal mix. Certainly 2021, I thought he had a shot to medal. So the same thing with Kerr. Like, yeah, is Kerr going to be able to put it together a medal every time? No. And if he has a career like Clayton Murphy's, is that going to be a huge disappointment? No. You know, he, he got a medal. He got his job done. But I do think that Josh will have a chance to medal again. And I just don't... Yeah. Saying, oh, he's just going to be like Clayton Murphy. That I don't think that should be viewed as an insult. And what was the GoFundMe reference? That was referring to my COVID GoFundMe when I joked that there was a GoFundMe to support me while I battled COVID. He said that if, you know, if people are donating to that, we should give him some free T-shirts. Extra large, of course. But, look, I, I think it's interesting, that thread that, that was on, on J Josh Kerr and Clayton Murphy. I mean, it's interesting from an intellectual standpoint because sometimes, I mean, I do think you come onto the scene and people always think, oh, you're going to get better and better and better. And what I often point out is sometimes you don't. Like, it's it's a young man's game in a lot of these events. Like, when did Usain, how old was Usain Bolt, John, when he ran his personal best? Johan Blake. I mean, I think they were Bolt 20. would have, he was born in August of 86, so he either just turned 23 or was still 22 when he did it in Berlin in 2009. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know these, this, this, Johan Blake was even younger. This isn't distance running, but. No, the 800 is a young man's game too. You, you know, early 20s. I'm just bringing up another name because I've, I've always been aware of this. Quincy Watts. He's the coach at USC now. He knows what he's doing. He coaches, didn't he coach Benjamin and these guys, John? Yeah, he coaches. Michael Norman and and Ray Benjamin. He's a student of the sport, but his own career, what happened? He was on fire his final year of NCAs. He wins NCAs. He wins the Olympic title in 92. At the age of 22, never medaled again individually. Fourth in 93. Not sure what happened after that. So, uh, but this actually gets, this is a good combination of the Monson threat. Look, there's a few – the outliers, the people that are running 29 flat and almost 14 flat, the Hassans, the – you know, like Inga Brinson can have an off day and not be at his peak and still get silver. But it's like there's a few people way up there, the Bekele's, the Gepa Celestis, like whatever. But then it's like a bell curve. There's so many people in that like fifth – to 15th range, you know, if they have the race of their lives, maybe they get third if, if everyone's not there, but they could also, it, it's just much harder for them because they're in the middle. You know, if you're a college cross country runner or fan, I used to always say this, like, look, 
it, even there, it's a bell curve. Look how much farther first place is at NCAA Cross is than 10th. It's like miles ahead. So the, the person who's going to win NCAA Cross can have a bad race and finish 15th. The person that on their good day finishes 15th, they could easily finish 80th. Like the gap is nothing. It's like the middle. So Kerr is sort of like a white man. Yeah, I mean, look, you got to think about it this way. Like Clayton Murphy, when he medaled the Olympics, he ran, he was what, 21 years old, and he ran 142.9. So you're thinking, okay, this is either he's going to continue improving from 142.9 at 21, and he's going to be one of the greatest 800 runners of all time. Because if you're still improving after doing that, that means you're one of the best talents ever in the sport. Or this is a best possible scenario outcome. You have run 142.9 in the Olympic final and you get a medal. And I think you got to look at the ladder. That's, and that might be the same with Josh Kerr. Like you run 329 in the Olympic final and get a bronze, either you're going to get even better and you're going to be one of the sport's all-time great talents, or that's basically your best case scenario outcome. But I think people are getting that wrong. It's not fair to Clayton Murphy. He, he picked the perfect time to run 142.93, the real final. He gets third. But 2018, he ran 143.12. Unfortunately, nothing's going on in 2018. There's no worlds. But then last year, he showed the form. He was certainly capable of winning Olympic gold last year. I think he finished last in the final, right, John? But at USA's, that 143.17 with that close, if you put that in the Olympic final, it easily wins it. Don't you think, John? That race, have him in that form on that day, put it in Tokyo. He's the winner. Everybody yeah. else who's, who's second and third. I think there were two things that worked against Clayton is, well, first of all, he said he was sort of going into the trials a little, little banged up. And obviously the form he showed in that final, he was capable of being the absolute best in the world. So I don't know if he was healthy or if he just wasn't in quite the same form when he got to Tokyo. Either of those that worked against him. And then the final, he just couldn't get in good position and it was a pretty slow race and he got hard, bad position. And that it's just hard like to get in good position in a slow 800 meter championship final. So those two things worked against him. But I agree. If he runs the race he did at the Olympic trials in Tokyo, that was, you could say that might've been the best race anyone ran last year in the 800 meters. Andy ran 143 high in 2019. Probably didn't help things that his coach got banned the night before the 15, the 800 final. I mean, my takeaway from this, we mentioned it with the 1500. The party doesn't last very long for most people at the top of the sport. You can see at the top five years, two Olympic cycles, it's rare, right? You can be a pretty good runner to be the very best. A Gibber Selassie of a Kale. Mo Farah or something, it's very hard and, and pretty rare. Other sports, it's a bit easier. I think you make up with technique when your fitness sort of wanes. Like there's a skill component. Robert's former intern, she's still got it. You guys watching the tennis last night? Serena Williams. Robert, were you watching? I was watching. My mom was texting me, telling me to write a story about my interactions with Serena Williams. She thought the world would love it. I think I've told the story in the podcast, John. Can I tell it again or not? Uh, I don't think you've told it too many times, like some of your other stories. So go. you have my permission. 
Well, my first job out of college, I was an intern, ended up being the public relations manager for the, I was basically in charge of the PR, even as an intern, for the IGA Super Thrift Tennis Classic in Oklahoma City. It's basically the first main event that Serena Williams ran as a pro, uh, competed in as a pro, but it's better known as the first event that Venus Williams won. So Venus showed up, kind of was a, already a big deal. Um, what's interesting about Venus and Serena is they didn't really play junior tennis, so but people knew their talent level jumped off the, off the page. So Venus wins the tournament. I think Serena played the first year, went out in the first round, but everyone was into Venus. And I remember talking to, to, to Richard Williams. I think maybe the first year Serena wasn't there. Maybe Serena came the second year. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But he's like, everyone's talking about Venus. He's like, but I've got another one. I think she might even be better. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. You know what they call her? I'm like, what? He's like, black and row. I'm like, black and row? What does that mean? He's like, you know, like black John McEnroe. She likes to come to the net and just, she's athletic and power overpower people at the net and stuff. So not a lot of women's, women's players go to the net. I remember talking to Amanda Kutzer, who was from South Africa, one of the top 10 players in the world. I'm like, do you think this would work? He was, she's like, it's really hard to come to the net in the women's game, but. Richard was right. Serena ended up being better than Venus. Venus won seven majors. Serena won more than 20. I mean, that's just the most insane thing ever. Venus Williams is a five-time Wimbledon champion, and she is very clearly the second-best athlete in her family. And that's just nuts that you can be a five-time Wimbledon champion. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I feel kind of bad for Venus because like, why, she's still playing. Why aren't people vetting, you know, uh, what do you call it? Vet, uh, not vetting. Uh, Fetting. Yes, her and celebrating her. But I looked at prize money. Serena's won twice as much prize money. But anyways, um, Serena was young, like 15 or 16. We had this little room. It was at a country club. And um, where I had my media stuff, we'd do interviews and stuff like that. And since she went out in like the first or stuck around the first year she was there, imagine you're 15, 16, you're in Oklahoma City. There's not much for her to do. Venus is still playing. So she would just hang out in the media room with me. And she was like very helpful. She wanted to help out. She's like, can I interview people and get quotes for you? And I was just like, uh, I'm not sure if that's allowed, but thanks. So she was cool. Um, Venus was amazing as well. So Venus, I think she won the tournament the first year. It might have been the second year, though. But she won the tournament at Oklahoma City. But then she went to the U.S. Open that year. Was that 98, John, when, she, when Venus first won it? When Venus first won the U.S. No, I think the first... The first one of them to win a major was Serena at the 99 U.S. Open, right? Oh, was it? Oh, so Serena won. But Venus did something big in one of these majors. So when she came back the next year, she was a huge, huge deal as the defending champion, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, is Venus even going to, you know, she going to remember who I am? And we're walking down the hallway and there was a curtain. So right as I'm going through this curtain, she's going through the curtain. So she could have easily acted like she didn't see me. And she turned around. Now, this is Venus, not Serena. And she says, hey. She's all excited to see me. She's like, is your twin coming again this year? Because Weldon had come to the tournament and visited us. So she remembered Weldon Johnson. Venus did. Serena was very nice in the press room. Um, and I just, they seemed like very, you know, like just normal teenagers. Well, wow. uh, Even nicer than normal teenagers. I now have a fun fact. What do I have in common with Serena Williams? We both worked under Robert Johnson. 
Thank you, John. Thank you. If only I had taught you tennis like I taught it to her. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you say when you're starting to pitch athletes on uh, joining you as a running coach, you know. But yeah, nobody was really talking about Serena. People kind of viewed it as impossible, like no way. And she ended up being that. But speaking of winning, if Serena somehow wins this tournament, I'm afraid she's going to get destroyed in the second round. I really hope I'm wrong. We can have a Jimmy Connors type moment. Jimmy Connors made the semis of the US Open to 39. But this next match is probably going to be her hardest, maybe her last. But uh, ultra fans will point out that Killian Jornet, a lot of big ultras last weekend. We had the World 100K, we had Comrades, we had UTMB. Killian Jornet won UTMB. 11 years after he first won it over the weekend. We spent a lot of time talking about that in the week that was. Whoa, whoa, so, Robert, you're shortchanging him. It was 11 years after he won his last title, but that was his third title in 2011. It was actually 14 years. Jornet won his first title in 2008 when he was 20 years old, and now he's tied for the most men's wins ever. So it was 14 years between titles. But I mainly also wanted to bring that up because someone in the thread said he's the GOAT. And I assume when someone says you're a goat, they didn't say goat of ultras. They said the goat. So I got very mad and I've really enjoyed going into every thread that's on Jornet or UTMB and just bringing this up. I'm like, okay, he's clearly not Kipchoge. Kipchoge's 19 years removed. He's running like a 202 marathon last year, 18 years removed from his 2003 world title in the 5,000 when he ran in the 1240s that year and beat Big Haley and El Goldman and, and El Garouche. So people are like, oh, why are you? We're not talking about track now. They're mad that I'm bringing that up, and they're mad that there's, you know, I'm, I'm also bringing up. I am trolling these these ultra fans. Like I, I'm bringing up the fact that some people think that Killian Jornet faked a Everest summit. Other people are suspicious of there's a lack of testing in the sport of ultra running. And he also was disqualified for cutting the course at this American ultra. Now, people say that's allowed in Europe, but it wasn't allowed in America. And he was confused, even though the race director repeatedly told him not to do it in the race. So it's been a lot of fun just to rile these people up with facts. It's just like the facts I said about Timothy Chariot. I don't, it, these are just questions that need to be asked or point facts that need to be pointed out. It doesn't mean one way or the other. But if you want more ultra coverage, read the week that was. All right, I'm just glad that you're acknowledging your trolling and that you're just going on the internet and starting trying to pick fights with people, Robert. That's really what you're doing. When they're saying GOAT, I don't think anyone's saying, you know, maybe they are, but I give our readers a lot of credit. No one's saying he's the GOAT of all running or, you know, the GOAT compared to... And even Elliot Kipchoge might not be the GOAT of all running. I think there are other athletes who have a case to that crown. But if you're saying the GOAT, mountain ultra runner i do think killian jornet has a pretty strong claim to that i don't claim to know all about it but from what i can tell and talking to steel town runner who is one of our the guys that we lean on for ultra running expertise i feel like if you're saying killian jornet is the greatest mountain ultra runner ever that seems like something is pretty defensible claim john i agree but to call you out can you give me another name who might be a goat well, the other one you would argue is Francois Dane. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name, but he's the guy who well, he won four UTMB titles while 
Jornet was away. He didn't run this year, but he raced Jornet at Hard Rock earlier this year. He's pretty great athlete, but it does seem like when they're both at their best, Jornet is better. Now, what I think Mount Ultra running fans, however many of them listen to this podcast, they might want to see a showdown between the two of them now at UTMB next year because they've both won it four times. You kind of want that, who can get the fifth? pipe that thing up to next year popular culture it seems like killian journey is well much more well known uh, this, this, other, this other guy i'm like barely heard of him but, hey and wait if i want to rile people up let me just seth demore seth demore okay let me just get it out there wow all about the trolling this week five star review five star reviews please five star reviews hey multi-time podcast guest jim walmsley really wants to utm when utmb he's moved to europe to train for this race he had a big lead at one point it's very interesting. These people have trouble, you know, keeping down food. So when they can't fuel, they really lose a lot of time. Like it happened to the women's race too. She had like a 25 minute lead, then fell 10 minutes behind and comes back and wins. Um, what was her name? Sheed, John? Sheede? Yeah, Katie Sheed. Uh, again, not sure about the pronunciation there, but she was the Amer- American wins UTMB. So third straight after Courtney DeWalter won in 2019 and 2020. But part of the reason why I had to troll people, and I didn't really mean to get in this topic, is because people will say like, oh, like, Jornet, if you put him on the track, he would dominate too. I'm like, come on. He couldn't make the Olympics. No the one's track. saying that. This is a straw man. There are people on our message boards who are saying if Killian Jornet was a track runner, he would dominate the sport. Please find me these people, Robert. There's a, there was a post about like how I'm like, I, I, I offered. I didn't even ask for permission. I told... Well, I offered a hundred thousand dollars if he could break twenty-seven thirty for ten thousand. And people are like, Robert, you should probably put it even at twenty-eight thirty. You feel pretty confident, but um, yeah, yeah. Killian Jornet is incredible at a very specific. Well, maybe not very specific. There are all different kinds of mountain trail races stuff, and he's terrific at those. But he's not a twenty-seven twenty track runner, and that's fine. Yeah, he's better at the at the super climb, super, and the t- more technical also helps him. And, and longer stuff, right? Could he ever win Western States? He tried once, I think, didn't win it. Shorter, it's a little bit faster. I don't know. That's for another day. All right, before we get to the Brussels Diamond League preview, there's a few other interesting things we've been discussing on the message boards. I haven't really had a whole lot of time to be on the message boards, my son being out of school. But these threads caught my eye, and I posted a few things on there. John wrote an article at one of these topics. One first is the Diamond League finals coming up. Carson Warhol and Marcel Jacobs, because they've been injured, missed most of the Diamond League early on in the year. They don't have the points. They won't be in the final. I think I started this thread. Like, should World Athletics make an exception? Like, sometimes in golf, if you're if you're out for two years with an injury, they let you come back in some sort of exemption status. And I'm like, should they have an exemption status for Worlds for these guys? Because first of all, these aren't like Sidney McLaughlin type people. These are people. Warholm is. No, in the sense of these aren't people who don't like to race. These are people who like to race all the time. Warholm normally races all the time. Jacob races a lot. Well, not all the time, but yes, he races on the circuit. So, you know, and. I was also thinking, like, should the Olympic, should the Worlds or the Olympics count as Diamond League points? Because that would might help you get into the thing. But a lot of people were on the message board were like, no, this is how you qualify. Otherwise, people are going to skip the meets. It's going to be hard to analyze, like, when do you make exceptions or not? 
And I said, I'm going to sleep on it and think about it. And I, I thought about it, and, and I'm fine with them being held out of the Diamond League final. What about you guys? One I would like to see is World Athletics, or sorry, the Diamond League, maybe moving forward next year. They give themselves the right. They don't need to do it every time, but if they want, they can use one discretionary spot in the Diamond League final on someone. That way you can still get, in a sprint, seven of the eight spots qualified, and often it's more than that because there are going to be people passing up. Like Fred Curley is qualified, but he's not going to be running the Diamond League final because he's injured. I'm sure there are a couple other people who are going to skip as well. I think there should be a rule saying if we won, we can sub in one guy for the final spot in the field. And that would give you a chance to put in Jacobs. Or you leave it to the like meat. Well, I guess if you leave it to the meat organizers, they might go with like a local guy and there's politics. And I think give it to sort of the Diamond League in general. But that is the carve out for these ones. In terms of like, should I should they be subbed in this year? when there's no rule for it. Oh man, I'd really like to see it, but it's not really fair to these athletes who have been out running Diamond Leagues. We don't want to punish people who are running on the circuit and they're trying to go and show up for these meets, you know? I, I was starting to think that myself and come up with it. We should link to the thread definitely because there were some good arguments in it. But I've been saying, we need, I want to take away the buy for the world champion of the Worlds. I don't like it. They skip USAs. I guess Jake Whiteman likes it because now he's going to run the US 800 at British Champs next year and then run the 1500 at Worlds. He doesn't have to worry about peaking twice. But to me, we need more meets to matter. And you, you make them run the Diamond League regular but season. Th here's the thing. You're saying make them run the Diamond League. No, the, some of these people might just say, no, nah, actually, I don't even care about the final. Like, I'm not going to run the Diamond League. If, the, if I have to run Diamond League regular seasons to run the final, I'm just not going to do it. And... Look at a thing, Mo. She's not in college. She's run one Diamond League this year. She won it in Rome, but she doesn't currently have enough points to make the final, uh, unless there are some scratches. If she showed up and said, "I want to run the Diamond League final," I would want her to be in the final. I like she because the current situation is doesn't look like she's going to race at all the rest of the year. So I'd like to have a carve out there. That way, even if they're not running the regular season meets, but. John, if Mo wanted to run the Diamond League final, she would have been training and showing up one of the other Diamond Leagues that we've had since Worlds. She hasn't done that, so I don't think she's interested in doing it. And I may be fine with counting Worlds as the Diamond League. Just count that the same as, as okay. a regular season meet. So she could have picked up some points there, but we have no indication that she's interested in going to this race. No, but the carve-out you've got here, we're looking like you've got to think about the scenario we're accounting for. We've got athletes who were injured during the world championships who are among the biggest stars in the sport who often race on the circuit and want to run the final, but were only precluded to do from doing so because they were not healthy enough to run the regular season. The more I think about this, there should, if there's an exception made, I of course I want to see the best race. We talk weekly on this podcast, how the stars never race each other. I mean, Look what the PGA Tour just did. They put in a whole thing to make the stars compete against each other more and more. That's going to be great for golf. Track and field, Sidney McLaughlin can compete once a year now, essentially. Except for the Olympic year, she'll have to compete twice a year. And she can still dominate whatever. But is that good for the sport? Absolutely not. I think Mo can win the Olympics, Worlds, and then not run the rest of the year. Not good for the sport. So... The sport needs more meets that matter. Oh, then you say, oh, put them in the final. No, that's backwards. 
They need to compete to get in the final, earn their way in. The Diamond League's where it's at. But John, I'm fine. You can have one exception for someone who's injured. If you just skip meets because you don't want to do them, sorry. No, you're out. But if somebody who was injured, maybe you could craft away like injury exemption. You know, they have, they have to say, look, I can't compete in this meet because I'm injured right now. And, and that would be the only sort of exception you make because uh, otherwise the rest of Diamond League's meaningless, essentially. And some people already treat it that way. But the hardcore track field, field fans know the Diamond League is where it's at. So it's the closest we, thing we have to regular season that matters. Yeah. I'm just concerned, like, this is, I'm, I'm worried about some of these events because you look at the men's 400 meter hurdles, right? We have three bona fide stars in that event now that Alison DeSantos has ascended in 2022. And yet, we've got two 400 meter hurdles races on the men's side remaining in 2022 in the Diamond League. The first one is in Brussels. DeSantos is entered. Benjamin's not entered. Warholm's not entered. Even if Warholm wins it, He's not guaranteed he'd have enough points to make the final, so perhaps that's why he's skipping it. But, and Benj- Ry Benjamin, you know, he's been banged up this year. He didn't, he wasn't in top form. He was still pretty impressive that he was able to run 46, what, he ran, did Ry Benjamin break 46 seconds, break 47 seconds in the World Championship final? I think he did, which is really, you know, testament to him. But I don't think he's going to come over and run the Diamond League final either. He, yeah, you're in 46-89 in Eugene, which means now the last two Diamond Leagues of the year, we've got three stars, and only one of them is running these two final Diamond Leagues. That's just... We can't get two of the three to race so each what? other? I mean, what do you mean, so what? You're not complaining when Alicia Monson doesn't have to face <laughs> Segei in the, in the, in the 3,000 and no, Lazan last no, no, week. No, no, This is a totally different scenario. Alicia Monson's not one of the biggest stars in the sport. I'm saying we have a, one of the most exciting events in the sport. We've got at least two of them are healthy right now, Warholm and Dos Santos. And yet the only time we saw any of them race each other, this well, we saw, okay, we did see Benjamin and Dos Santos race each other early in the season in Doha. But we have the opportunity for these three to be racing each other, and we've only got one of them racing, which is kind of a bummer. Well, we could talk a little bit more about Brussels, but I mean, we should have recorded this podcast tomorrow because we've mentioned her name a few times. Where the hell is she? Is she going to compete anymore? And she is. Shakari Richardson running in Lucerne tonight. Oh, probably here in like three hours. Taking on Elaine Thompson, hurrah. But also, this shows, like, we follow the sport more than anyone, and we find out about this, like, the day of, essentially. She'd been announced for Brussels for a little while, but this Lucerne meet, yeah, I wasn't aware she was running. And then I see some people talking about her on Twitter, and yeah. So we'll see. It'd be interesting. What do you you guys have for predictions? This will be a, we'll be on the record before the podcast airs, or sorry, we're predicting this before the race, even though the race will be over when it airs. Well, then I don't want you going back, copying and pasting in some amazing prediction where you get her time down to the second. But the last time we saw her do this, remember last year, she runs the Olympic trials, dominates, gets suspended for weed. She comes back. Everyone's hyping up her return at the pre-classic. She's taking on the Jamaicans who just swept the Olympics. She gets embarrassed, runs 11.14, finishes dead last. We're in a little bit different situation because 
if you remember at the U.S. Championship, she didn't even make it out of the first round in the 100 meters. But she has run 10.92 earlier this year. She ran 10.85 in her last meet before the World Champ. Sorry, before USA's uh, and the New York City Grand Prix. She was fit earlier this year. Do we expect her to do anything, or do you think she's going to flop like she did at pre last year? I'm going to go, John. I think she's going to do something this year for some reason. I'm going to ignore my initial instinct to say she'll run over 11 seconds. 10.89, second place. Okay, that was going to be my question. Does she break 11 seconds? Robert, what do you think? That's for Lusan, your prediction? Yes. Yeah, okay. She's not going to break 10.9, no. And if she burns over 11 seconds, though, everyone involved in her, her team and whatever, should be ashamed of her themselves for letting her go over there and embarrass herself yet again but i was thinking about this do we know anything about how these contracts work what's the for a distance runner she'd be safe but is there a minimum number of meets you need to require to get paid i think it's supposed to be 10 races right and i'm counting up now she has exactly 10 races that's counting heats and everything that's counting heats but i I think those count because i'm remembering when they tried to gain the system with that rate meet down in texas during covid they would have everyone run like five different events at the same meet and that would count as five different competitions i think so or they were five separate meets maybe that's it but my my yeah i I tend to think why would you fly to switzerland to run a race if you didn't think you could do something it does now she showed up that's what i'm saying that was a nike athlete and no, I agree with you, Robert. Like last, but last year was like so more of a contractual thing. Like you got to run pre if you're a Nike athlete. This one, yeah, you would think if she's flying across the Atlantic to compete, she should be ready. And if she's not ready, yeah, her team, her coach, they're putting her in a bad situation. That's why I would expect. I, I'm going to say ten nine two in Lausanne. I think if the, I mean if conditions are good, we don't know what it's going to be amazing sprint conditions, but I think she'll she'll be all right. Last year she went to Padua after Eugene. Flew over there. We were thinking the same thing. And then she ran Brussels, actually. But she ran 11.19 in Padua and 22.45 in Brussels. So she certainly wasn't crazy. I mean, why would they do it? One thing maybe would be just to keep her doing something, staying out of trouble, maybe trying, hoping that she gets embarrassed into taking the sport seriously and continuing. But I'll definitely be paying attention. I think anything under 11 is good. I mean, this year she went from 11.37 when I was into a headwind. 11.27 in her first meet to 10.92 in her second a week later, down to 10.85 two weeks after that before, you know, spiraling up to 11.3. So no way she runs 10.8. I hope she breaks 11, but I, I'm going to say she doesn't. 11.05. All right. There was one other thing, Robert. I, we were going to get to Brussels, but there are a couple topics I think we wanted to discuss here. And the other one was... Ingebrigtsen and the triple at the 2023 World Championships. This was something we weren't certain about it. Well, he he did say, you know, if there was a 10,000 at Worlds after the 5,000, he would have run it. If there was a steeple the day after that, he would have run that too. Uh, so it was certainly something he was interested in when we spoke to him after he won the 5,000 at Worlds. But now, before Lausanne, he was asked by a journalist, are you planning on tripling? At the what did you want to triple at Euros and would you triple at Worlds moving forward? And he said, Yes, my plan was to triple at the Euros. 
I got COVID when I was supposed to go for my 10,000 qualifying time. That's why I didn't run the 10,000 here. But if he had gotten the qualifying time, he would have done it. And he said, yes, I'd like to do it for the world championships and the Olympics as well. But he wasn't sure what the schedule was going to be like. Well, now we have the schedule. And the current schedule, it's basically impossible to do the 1,500, 10K, 5K triple because the 1,500 semis are less than an hour before the 10,000 final. Even for Jakob, I, I think that's pretty crazy. But World Athletics can fix it very simply. For the first time ever, there's two full rest days between the 1,500 semis and the finals at Worlds on the men's side. If they just move it back to what they normally do, which is one full rest day between the 1,500 and the final, the semis and final, that doesn't screw up anyone else. It doesn't screw up the 800, 1,500 doublers because the 800 hasn't started yet. It gives, it restores it essentially to the normal 1,500 schedule. And then Jakob will be running the 10,000 final on day two, the 1,500 semis on day three, the 1,500 final on day five. It's a very simple fix. I'm kind of conf I think if Jakob asked for it, World Athletics would seriously consider it. The question to me is, is this something Jakob should do in his career? Because that was one of the some of the pushback I saw on the forums is Sifan Hassan did this. A year later, she's still not fully recovered from the Olympic triple. And I know Jakob loves racing a lot. He has been doubling a lot. Throughout, he doubled in 2019 when he was 19 years old at the World Championships. He's no stranger to doing these aggressive doubles, but neither was Hassan. You know, Hassan did the 15 and 10 in 2019. Would you like to see him do it? And do you think he should do it? Or do you worry that he could end up, you know, setting himself back like Hassan did for the following year? Yes, I want to see him do it. As we been pointing out the whole time on this podcast, your time at the top could be very short. If you want a, a challenge, you're motivated, you want to do something no one else has done before, go for it. The sport needs more Jakob Ingebrigtsen's. He competes a lot. He's out there. He's one of the best. We need the stars competing a lot more instead of like being celebrities on Instagram or something like that. We need the stars competing, trying to do great things. If he wants to triple the world championships, I'm all for it. I think, John, Hassan is not struggling this year because she's physically exhausted from running a triple. Give me a break. How many college kids triple all the time? It's psychological. They don't triple. They don't. It doesn't take as much out of her as. Oh, don't, 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 don't put this crap, John. It's actually easier for a pro to, to triple than a, than a college kid because they're, they're running for less time. Don't act like they're going more to the well and destroying their body more than a high school or college kid. Yes, they are. Because if you're good enough to triple at the college level, you're probably just dusting everyone. She's going against the best in the world. I don't think it was solely the Olympics that led to this. Okay, that's a fair point. Actually, college college triplers is way better than everybody else in the meet. Right. Fair enough. But also, Abby D'Agostino, 2014 Haps, uh, they asked her to triple to go for the team title. Dartmouth did. And uh, it was a lot on her plate. And I think that's why she got beat by Marielle Hall at NCAAs that year. After she had dominated the NCAA for the last two years, she lost her final collegiate race. So, just saying. But you're assuming you want to move the 1,500 semis to day three. Yes, very easy fix. Well, couldn't you also move the 10,000 to... Couldn't you 10,000 final to day three? 
You could, but I assumed they wanted it on day two to have a final on day two. I think the men's 100 final might also be that day, but... Anyways, when I was talking to Let's Run.com coaching guru John Kellogg about this, when John said it was impossible with the 1500 semis at 5.35 p.m., 10K final at 6.25 p.m., he said it was not impossible to run the 1500 semis and then the 10,000 final 40 minutes later. He said if the 10,000 started slow enough, he might have a shot. What do you think? I mean, maybe this is sacrilegious, but I disagree with John Kellogg here. Or what do you What yeah. do you think, Robert? Well, I I don't. I'm I'm trying to think. But I wish John was in the office. He stepped out for a minute. Yeah, John. My initial inclination was I totally disagreed with him. McQuaid, you can't come back and double. But then I think back, like some of my best races in college, I was doubling, mixing. To the layman, you're like, oh, you need to be fresh. But no, somehow you can double. Like, So I'm like, oh, world championships, it's harder. But the, physio- the, the physiology doesn't change, right? If you're a college runner can run his best, couldn't a pro runner run his best? I don't think that body's ability to come back is that different for them. And I forgot what he said. He, he was talking about high school. He said it was, it's much easier for God to go mile, two mile, than it is to go two mile, mile. I forgot which what order he was saying. He said much easier. He said one way that he did terrible, other way he could do it, he could do just fine. Anyways, I, I definitely think that they should change the schedule. Like someone on the message board was saying, like swimming's got a lot of stars because the pure number of medals people win. Like you're uh, Hassan – she became a big deal at the Olympics because everybody got to see her three times. She got her brand name. People know who she is. They want to see if she can do it, make history, et cetera. It would be great to do it. Um, yeah. My thing is, look, you shouldn't be totally catering the schedule around one athlete if it's going to throw off everyone else and screw up the whole meet. But this is not the case. There's a very simple fix that doesn't affect anyone else, really. I mean, it changes the 1500 schedule, but it just brings it in line with historical norms. It's not adversely affecting anyone, and it makes it easier for Jakob to double. It's a no-brainer if he's really serious about doing it. Now, it's interesting. He said he got COVID, otherwise he would have run a 10,000 this year. So he had a plan to get a qualifier. I'm fine with letting him in without a qualifier. Now, that's something I'm just fine with. Just put him in there. I don't give a shit if he doesn't have the qualifier. Say the 5,000 champ automatically gets a 10,000 qualifier. I, I don't agree. makes him roll. But... They should definitely change it. I hope he gets to triple at some point. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard for him. Like, how does he have time to triple? Some people are mad. They want to see him triple with the steeplechase, saying he'd have the steeplechase world record. But like, how does he have time to get ready for all these events, get the qualifying times, and go after world records, and run these championships, and run Diamond League? answer is, he doesn't. So, Well, that's another reason, Robert, for him to run the Brussels Diamond League, is I don't think he has the 5,000... Oh, wait, sorry. He has the buy in the 5,000 next year as the world champ, so he doesn't need to worry about qualifying. Ignore that. Okay. One other thing before we get to Brussels preview. John was going gaga when 19-year-old Hobbs Kessler this week ran 146 for 800. And I kind of thought, like, is this any good? Shouldn't a 334 guy run 146? And John was telling me why it's really good. Please tell us, John. Well, just not every 334 guy can run 146. 
And you were, you were like, oh, yeah, they can. I'm like, you think Evan Jager, who's a 332 guy back in the day, could run 146? I don't think that's a given. And especially to run 146 at age 19, it's the same, he's got the same PB as Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who's a 328 guy. So it just shows to me, shows me you need, he's got the wheels, you know, being able to run 146 at the age of 19, he's the age of a college freshman. That would make him one of the best 800 college freshmen in the country. And he's doing this when it's not even his best event. So that's what got me excited is he's a three, he's a 334 guy with wheels, which means he's more maybe of a pure 1500 runner than you might have thought. I don't know if you thought he was a... Did you think he was a pure 1500 guy or did you think he might be more of a 5K guy, Robert? I think he probably would think he was a pure 1500 guy, but... It's just encouraging to me. That's very fast. Well, he, I mean, he's got some good endurance naturally, obviously, because he was running some good high school times. We didn't really get to see him do a footlock or anything like that in high school. I kind of was thinking more pure 15, I guess, kind of like a Nick Willis. But here's some questions for you. Alan Webb, remember that name? I think he was pretty good teen miler for America at one point. What do you think his 800 PB was at age – 18. Age high school. Well, yeah, when he turns 20. Let me put it that way. 147. Yeah, 147.74 in 2001 in high school. Then didn't run it very much. 149 in 2002, 2003. 2004, so by this point, he's 21 years of age. Webb ran 146.09. And then in 2007, he goes from 146.09 to 143.84. God, Webb was a beast. I mean, he was so good across country, and he's running 143. John, is Hobbs Kessler in the Diamond League this weekend? Is there a 1,500? I guess there's not a 1,500. There is isn't a 1,500, so he's not running it. But, yeah. I still would like to see him get in a decent 1500 over there in Europe because he's run 336 twice. I kind of thought like all season, maybe he could get close to his PB. It'd be nice just to get a small PB, but he's kind of not really in a level where he can get in the diamond league. And then everybody else who's capable of running 334 is probably tired of not racing anymore. So, and my other question to you, Robert, is. How many American 1500 runners right now do you think could run 146 for 800 meters? Now, may- maybe this race was just really set up ideally and everything you know, was perfect for getting a personal best, but I just don't think there are all that many Americans who are 1500 runners primarily who can go out and run that fast for 800. Cole Hawker, I believe his PB is 146. Cooper the US champion, his BB is 147. I bet he probably, if he got in the right race, could run 146. But easily, he could do it. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a ton. That's a good point. The reason why I just thought originally was impressed. I mean, my freshman Jimmy Weiner at Cornell. Now he was he came into college more as an 800 guy, but he ran 148 as a freshman. And probably ran like 342. But, so I'm like, okay, if he was running 334, shouldn't he run 146? Jimmy had good 800 speed though. John Davis, the U.S. leader, he's a 333 guy. His 800-meter PB is, doesn't run it very often. 
is 148. Cooper Tier, Drew Hunter, 334 guy this year. It's kind of interesting. Drew Hunter has run, you know, 334.86. Not that far off Mr. Kessler's PB. His 800-meter PB is also 148. Then you've got Sam Prackle. No way he's run 146. Prackle. I, I stand corrected, John. I stand corrected. See, Sam Prackle. 146, 2021, 146, 39, 2022. That's actually surprising. Uh, that's I didn't realize he'd run that fast for 800. But, I mean, look, I'm not saying if you're a 334 guy, I just think it's that shows what kind of 1500 runner you are to a, to a degree, that you've got that speed. 146, like, if you're a 334 guy but you're coming at it from the top end, like you're more of a 5K guy dropping down and that's your PB. That's a little different. I don't think those guys are typically the ones who run, who win the championships. Even Jakob, who is more of a strength-based 1500 guy, is the Olympic champ, obviously. He's still run 146. So, I don't know. It's it's a positive sign for me. But we're worried that he's vulnerable because his PB is only 146. So it's good that he's running 146, but... You know, if he's going to be equally Nick Willis, um, maybe, you know, since they're in the same track club, maybe that's a good example. All right, well, then guess and tell me what Nick Willis's 800-meter PB is. Jonathan Gold, you can guess as well if you don't know it. I'm going to guess. I don't even know it. Oh, I thought you knew it. I almost want to say 147, but I'm going to say 146.9. I'm going to say 144, like eight. I, w- I say 145.84. 145.54. I'll take that. No, you went over. You're not allowed to go over. <laughs> we were not playing Price is Right rules, Robert. Right. Come on. I'm embarrassed. I apologize, fans. And see, two-time Olympic medalist. So... 146, yeah. 146 and 19. We've probably spent too long on this topic. Th- th- thank you, John. It's a John. good run th- for him in Europe. Thank you. No, you felt, we spent way too much time on this topic. We've been talking about young phenoms, what they're running. I think the biggest news out of this week is something we haven't addressed. It's about a young phenom. Nico Young, the 20-year-old NAU junior-to-be, the American junior record holder at 5,000 meters came out as gay on Sunday on Instagram. And what I hope like, you know, 10 years from now, this isn't what we remember this week for because it's just totally commonplace. But this is a big deal, John, in my opinion. I mean, there aren't a lot of prominent gay male athletes in any sports. I mean, look at, look at the... The NFL, we have one right now, and that's one ever, who's currently, while competing, was openly out as gay. Uh, I think, John, you said baseball, we've had zero? Major League Baseball, zero. NHL, zero. NBA, there was one who was came out while currently playing, Jason Collins, but he no longer plays. So between the four major pro sports in North America, you've had two athletes who were openly gay during their careers and in men's track you know elite track and field 
we have a few on the women's side. Carrie Richardson. I mean, this was she didn't even have a like there wasn't any sort of announcement, but she was feuding with a girlfriend earlier this year. We we've we've had some prominent female athletes. There aren't that many on the men's side. Caron Clement came out, but that was basically after his pro career was over. Uh, Matt Yano of the U- U- U.S. marathoner, he came out a few years ago. The, it's not a large number on the men's side. So for Nico to do that, he's one of the brightest young stars. He's got over 46,000 followers on Instagram. That's got to make him the number one most followed college runner, right, on the men's side. And he's had a very successful first two years at NAU. He was fourth at NCAA Cross as a true freshman, the number one team on their title team as a true freshman. He's now run 13-11. He's probably the favorite for NCAA Cross, if I had to pick one right now. And so he's going to be in the spotlight, you know? And this is something, when you read his post, it's something that he struggled with, not because he didn't know who he was, but it was because... Well, I'll just quote from his line. He said, from his Instagram post, he said, it's something I've always known and been aware of, but have kept silent out of fear of rejection. I have struggled to accept myself, but I'm becoming more proud and happy with who I am. I have realized that the only reason I never liked this part of who I am was because of what society has told me, not because of how I actually feel. So that shows you that I think as a society, we are more welcoming of LGBTQ athletes or people in general than we were about 10 or 20 years ago but there is more work to be done nico didn't feel comfortable sharing this until now because of how he was worried of how he might be perceived and i think from what i've seen most of the comments certainly on the instagram post were positive they were very supportive and he says he's hoping to use his platform um to sort of he said, I want and hope to be a representative and advocate for others like me. I want anyone who's struggling with who they are to know that you're never alone. The people that truly matter to you always will be loved there to, there to love and support you. So what I see is, look, he's going to be one of the most followed. He's one of the highest profile young distance runners in the United States. And if you're in high school, if you're a boy in a similar situation and you see Nico comes out and people support him and he's still very popular and everything, he's racing well, I think those athletes are going to be more willing to be more comfortable and share their identity because they saw what happened with Nico. So I think that's that's going to be a positive, hopefully, on the on the sport and for young runners. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, guys, because, I mean, it would be terrible to have to hide a big part of yourself, so God, he had the courage to do it. But it's, I, I think you missed some of the names, John. It's a nothing on the women's side of track and field. I mean, think about it. You know, Pastor Semenya, Yulamar Rojas, those are super mega stars. No one, it's not even an issue, right? Anakin McPherson of the U.S. You missed her. But on the men's side, hardly anybody. And it's not just track and field. So, um, remember Sean Barber, Paul Wolzer, Canada? Wasn't he a world champion? He's probably he the was. most prominent to do it during his career. But I also think what's more impactful here is for someone young. His younger brothers are still stars. They have a YouTube channel. Um, by the way, John, I've started coaching a top young high schooler. His father's a Dartmouth alum. He enjoys listening to you on the show, John. But I said, well, this kid's pretty good. He's run like 448 and 1020 before he steps on the high school. 
I said, what have you been doing this summer? Like, who's been coaching you? Because his coach got sick. He's like, oh, I mainly watch the Leo and Lex Young YouTube channel. So. It's dangerous, though. Do you, you know, they're tough, hard to compare yourselves to them. And I, I wish him the best. Hopefully, Dartmouth has a coach by the time he starts getting recruited by college recruiters. By the way, I apologize. Like, if I got any of those people wrong who aren't. I mean, I didn't even know you, Lamar Rojas, but she's on this Wikipedia page saying, track and field athletes, LGBTQ page. I mean, societally, it, it is pretty interesting how like, if this was a woman, it wouldn't be a big deal. But if, for a guy, this is a really big deal. I mean, the fact that we've had two major pro sports athletes in the United States come out as gay while they're playing is nuts. I'm no math major, but I'm pretty sure there's been thousands of gay athletes, I think, over the years. But, and, and Nico, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where his career goes. He could just be a great collegiate runner, but he down the road, he could be, who knows, he could be one of the best in America as a pro, and he'll have this huge platform and, and make it easier for people behind him to be who they are, too. So, I, I think, you know, congrats on him for having the courage to do this because people go, oh, it's easy to be gay these days. I, the good thing is in society in America, I think you're generally very well received, but it's clearly not easy because you see very few athletes come out and do what he did. We have breaking news folks as the recording, as the podcast is being recorded everybody ready? It's disappointing news for track and field fans. Paul Doyle, the super agent, has been exposed as a liar. He told us that Devin Allen would make the Philadelphia Eagles. But Devin Allen has been cut. I don't think I'm, I'm not surprised. If you were following some of the Eagles reporters, everyone was saying, well, Devin Allen, he's... Trying his best, but he hasn't played football in six years. He's going to get cut. The good news from Allen's perspective is he did score. He showed a couple things on film, right? He showed he had the deep touchdown catch where he got past the safety. And in their last game on special teams, he flashed on a few plays as a gunner on kickoffs and, and maybe a punt as well. So... There is some hope, it seems like, that he could be brought back as a member of the practice squad. And we talked about this on an earlier podcast. If he's on the practice squad and you continue sort of relearning football, he's got some skills that could help him in the NFL. You know, he's got skills that put him at the probably 98th or 99th percentile in terms of speed in the NFL. If he can get the football stuff down and they can put him in a position to, to deploy it, yeah, maybe he's got like a specialty role as just a deep threat or just as a special teamer. But he'd need to get a practice squad spot because it doesn't seem like right now he's going to be signed to any other team sort of active roster or anything. Well, well look, it's pretty interesting. I think, uh, you know, Weldon was saying all along before the training camp even started, the expectation was sort of practice squad. But talking to Paul Joel, the agent, he's like, look, you don't understand this guy, just what a winner he is, what a great teammate he is. He was very well liked. And all of that ended up being true. What, what Paul Joel told us, like 
he wasn't even getting reps at practice. He was a little bit overwhelmed, it sounded like, on the receiving end at first. But then he gets into that one game, catches the touchdown, and one of the articles I said was like, look at how all the teammates were so excited for him. So he was clearly very well respected. And in this last game, he starts playing gunner, which is like defense on special teams, basically. He caused a fumble. I think he had another tackle. And then people were like, wow, he might actually make the team. And I was thinking, wow, Paul Doyle is going to be vindicated. Like this guy's intangibles have jumped off the page. He's going to make this team. Instead, he doesn't. Now, he could be in the practice squad, but all these teams around the league could also sign him too. So with that speed, it wouldn't be surprising to me if he does end up on another team. You know, I would like to see uh, – I would like – I'm going to officially say it. My Baltimore Ravens. Fuck these Cowboys. Like, <laughs> the, the Marquise Brown was our deep threat. He's gone. Just having him on the field seemed to open up everything for everybody else. So, like, you know, and at the end of the baseball season, when they have – well, they used to have the minor call-ups. I think they're limiting it this year. But you always got the speed guy that would just steal the bases. Like, I would rather have my last guy on the roster have super speed. So when I'm down by six points with 20 seconds left and I need a bomb, at least I can put him out there and just hope that he runs past everybody. Plus, John Hobble, head coach, what was his background? Special teams coach. That's what he was hired as. So I'm just going to make the pitch the New England Patriots. Team captain, beloved team captain and special teams ace, Matthew Slater, turns 37 years old next week. This could be his final season in the NFL. Belichick loves keeping a couple special teamers on the roster. Sign him to the practice squad. We need help at the wide receiver position as well. Coach him up. And then by 2023, we've got a new deep threat for Matthew for Mac Jones. Sorry, I almost called him Matthew Jones. New deep threat for Mac Jones. And at worst, we have a new ace special teamer to fill in the shoes of Matthew Slater. So that's my pitch. Join the Patriots. And Robert said this was bad for track and field fans. Some of the assholes out there were hoping Devin Allen would get cut so they came back to track and field. But I, I support Devin's ambitions, whatever they are, especially with his dad dying. Like, what a tough year for the guy. But yeah, I read the article before training camp started and they said, look, come on, he's not going to make the team. So that was what Football Insiders thought. And then people were like, oh, he's been very underwhelming. He cut, catches the touchdown pass. That doesn't mean that much. They said, like, spares playing these games. But then you saw these articles this week. You know, Devin Allen shows up as elite special teamer, but is it enough? And that was speculation. And then the other speculation, John, I saw is, if you cut a player, you can't sign him straight to your practice squad. They're all cut. So any team can now sign him. So the concern was like, well, if we cut him, if we don't keep him on the roster, someone else might get him. So, will other teams like Belichick, you know, he's known for thinking outside of the box, will they say, hey, oh my God, this guy four weeks ago couldn't do crap. Look how much he's come in four weeks. You know, look where he might be in two months. I think you will. I, I think it's a good thing for him in the short term. Now he's got all, he's put himself out there. They've got tape on him. Other teams can sign him. Look, Jalen Hurts, he's garbage for an NFL quarterback. You'd rather be with a Mac Jones who can dink and dunk to, to Devin. People think he's going to be a long guy. He could be, although I read De Devin's hurdle drills. He's not that fast side to side. So I was thinking he was going to be like a Wes Walker. Maybe that's not what he's going to do in, in the long term. John's made his pitch. Look, Devin, if you move to Baltimore, you can live in my basement. I'm not I'll give up my <laughs> office right now. You know, if, if you need the cash, you know, as long as you can babysit a couple hours a week. Like <laughs> who could who could turn down that deal? 
Lemon Rojo's ba- Lemon Rojo's <laughs> you just want a babysitter. That's all you want. The only reason you want him on the Ravens. And, and Jonathan Golfs has not offered his place because John's moving. John, John's about to enter a big state. Can I can I reveal John's a big step? If you you're about to move into your own place. Like that's a big adult step. John wants doesn't want any roommates. So even though he could have an NFL guy, imagine the women he'd bring back to the apartment with you for you, John. No, John wants to be solo so he can type the articles undistracted late at night. Well, I'm moving into a one-bedroom apartment, so if Devin wanted to live on my couch for the football season, I don't think that's an arrangement that would really benefit either of us. Well, it's shameful Robert's talking about the Ravens being his team. Once a Dallas Cowboys fan, always a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I haven't been listening to Sports Radio 1310, the ticket recently. i got to start streaming Sports Radio. I'm feeling out of touch. But Devin Allen's hurdle coach, right, is in Navy. So that would be the best of both worlds. Honestly, the Ravens. Oh, wow. Jamie Cook. That's right. He could live in Annapolis, commute to. It's only about a 40 minutes to the, to the practice facility. But then he wouldn't be able to live in your basement and babysit your kid, Robert. How well, I know, but maybe that? Jamie wants him babysitting for babysitting duties. Wait, and all, any other parents out there, my two year old. I always tell her fast, fast, fast. She's like, daddy, fast, fast, fast. And we go running in the stroller. You know, now she's running through the field. And I, am I wrong? I was telling her to relax and pace herself when she goes a long way. Like, you think she's comprehending any of this stuff? Subliminal messaging. Well, then she'll absorb it. She'll know it intuitively to relax when she becomes the next star runner in the 2040 Olympic champion. Yeah, relaxation is the key to running fast. Speaking of relaxation, actually, I've got two quick recommended things. There's a new podcast out there. Well, it's not new. I think it's almost over now. It's called Speed City. It's by Malcolm Gladwell. It's actually called Legacy of Speed, Weldon. Damn it. I heard some Googling back there. Okay, Legacy of Speed by Malcolm Gladwell. It's about uh, essentially... Well, then it's Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Lee Evans, the 1968 Olympics. And these guys all went to one college, San Jose State. And they had this famous coach. I just heard of the name, Bud Winter. So it talks about track, but then also the social aspects of it. Because, um, you know, John Carlos and Tommy Smith did the famous protest at the 1968 Olympics. And how they came came to be, and then it you know weaves its way even in, into the, their professor Edwards. He's tied into Colin Kaepernick today, so I recommend that. And then I started reading Phil Knight's autobiography or memoir, I guess it's called, because there's no way he wrote all those things himself. It's a good read, good story. You know, I think John, if it, a memoir like they could put in anecdotes to make it sound super interesting, but he'll remember like parties back in the day and. But it reminds people like myself, Nike wasn't always the behemoth, behemoth that it is now. It used to be Adidas and Puma, and Nike didn't want to be them. And now I feel like it is them. But, you know, like Phil Knight was at one point, for the Jeff Johnson essentially ran, not ran Nike, but did all the legwork for Nike at the beginning. Phil Knight had, a, had to have another job to like make ends meet for his family. So he was an assistant professor, I think at Portland State, Meets his wonderful wife, Penny, who's like a 19-year-old freshman. 
Um, that doesn't work anymore, but hey, shows not all progress is good, John, because they're still happily married, whatever this is, 60 years later, maybe more. And I've enjoyed the book. I got 10% more to go according to my Kindle. Good read if you haven't read it. My wife's uncle said, hey, you got to read this book if you haven't read it before. Have you guys read it? I've been meaning to read it at some point, but I haven't read it. So glad to know that's worth Shameful. it. Shameful. And, you know, also Nike didn't sponsor really a lot of athletes early on. They had pre, but th- their shoes were like second rate <laughs> until it sounds like about maybe probably 1980, 1976. Guys, no, another plug, Frank Schwarter coming up at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday. Schwarter was supposed to be their big guy. He's, he was a Nike athlete. So Phil Knight turns on the Olympics to watch Frank Schwarter running in Nikes at the Olympics. It's going to be a big deal. And what does Frank have on his shirt, his shoes, on his feet? Well, they want Nikes. Yeah, they were they were Asics. And also the first, like, I don't know, I need to go back and do the math now. The first 10 years of Nike, all Nike did was import Asics. They didn't even make their own shoes, which is, which is kind of crazy. I can't believe Walden said Nike started making good shoes in 1980. Nobody was training in Nikes when we were in college. They were crap then. They've only gotten a decent trainer in like the last 10 to 20 years. Robert, come on. The waffle trainer was pretty revolutionary. Like, come on. What are you kidding? The waffle trainer, Zach. Robert, the Pegasus has been around for how long? Come on. People trained in Nikes. What are you talking about? When you went to Jared Hartman's training facility... In Ireland, and when was that? 2001, 2000, 2002, 2003? 2000 or 2001, I think. Maybe it was 99. What did he tell us? He said all the Kenyans that are sponsored by Nike secretly run an Asics. That's what he told us. What? I don't remember that at all. I thought it was everybody, nobody in Reebok ran in Reeboks. But Robert just slandered the company. Come on, Robert. That's not, I don't think, uh, who knows. It's weird because now I feel like a lot of shoe companies make good shoes, right? The technology is really advanced. And also reading this book, it's crazy. They're, even before they go public, they're a pretty big company at that point. Phil Knight's got the underdog mentality. He's never happy. So I think that's sort of, I can't wait till I finish the book, but you're part of it and he's loyal. You know, you're like, wait, how does John Capriati still have a job with some of the stuff he, he pulled off? But no, Phil's going to back his guys and forgive them and that sort of stuff. And... Of course, if they have a shoe, a super shoe that they can put their athletes in and nobody else in, he's going to do it. Although, you know, he wasn't making the decisions then at that point. Oh, I guess this book proves one of my maxims. Everybody wants to be underdog slash victim. But also it, it puts us up to like, you know, when they go public, he's worth $160 million. Now he's worth, I don't know, $20 billion. I'm going to make up a number. Maybe it's $3 billion. What he does with his wealth is going to be one of the most consequential things, I think, for the sport of track and field because there's so little money in track and field. And, you know, learning how this guy thinks, Phil Knight is one of us. He, he's a sort of dorky, awkward little distance runner. Well, I mean, excuse me, like you guys. I wasn't like that. You know, obviously it was very smooth and had no problem with the women. But he, he was just a guy who, who loved shoes, loved running, wanted to make a you know, bring in, he didn't even want to make them himself, but he wanted runners here to have better shoes. And, and that developed from the Nike. So it's, it's a pretty cool, cool story. If you think about it and what he does with his money, I think it's going to be the 
one of the most consequential things to this work for the next 15, 20 years. So, uh, I don't know. Well, he's already doing it. He's already, he's got Hayward Magic. They've started a foundation. They're starting to disperse funds to keep the sport going. Peanuts. Well, unless you're another media outlet that takes their money, that'd be nice. Hey, Phil, hit us up, buddy. But the, also you see like, oh, people are like, why didn't Phil build a pipe, the track in Portland? He's got this like Oregon underdog mindset. Of course he's putting the worlds to Eugene just to show like, hey, we can do it. Okay, all right. Enough of the book book review of a six year old book. Uh, we we got a big diamond league on Friday. I think we need to talk about it. It's in Brussels. Doesn't interest me previewing it. We'll find out what happens when it's run. What I want to talk about before that, then y'all can talk about Brussels. All I care about at Brussels is if if we're, if Ingebrigtsen is not running, Grant Fisher American record attempt, Shakira Richardson one hundred, and we'll, it, given particularly what Shakira runs today in the center. But I saw this note, and then I'm literally not going to be on here when y'all talking about Brussels, because I've got some things I need to do before going back to take over for grandma. Kibot Candy says that he's going to focus on the track. This is the world half marathon, half marathon world record holder. He's never really focused on the track. He won the Kenyan trials this year, but didn't get to run because he didn't have the standard. He said, Paul Turcott told him to do that. I'm all for guys normally having these track careers. I feel like there's a lot of women that could beat Alicia Monson, but they're all on the roads. Like, but this makes no sense to me. Like why he he's the half marathon world record holder focus on the marathon or is he going to be like that guy just an ATS he was not good at the marathon. So he had one so, so experience at the marathon and now he doesn't want to do it again. Did he run New York last year, John? He did run New York. It didn't go particularly well. And can I remind you of a guy named Jeffrey Camworo who for a while used to balance track and road and cross country and he did pretty darn good at all three of them why are we bashing a guy who wants to make track more competitive i mean we saw a, a kenyan stanley stanley waythaka medal at the world championships in the 10,000 this year candier won their trials so he clearly would have been a threat to do this it, it's not like you don't you have to pick one or the other he can say he's focusing on the 2023 world championships on the track but then in the fall he'll have the world road running champs where he can do the half marathon. You can do both of them. You can run more than one surface in a year. So if he wants to go on the track and make that more exciting, yes, I'm all for it. Why, why are we getting like, do we need to throw everyone into the marathon immediately? Is it going to be more lucrative for him to go to the roads and stay on the roads in the marathon? Yes. But in terms of a fan of the sport, I like that he's mixing it up in the 10 K. Okay. That's fine. But, is he going to run a fall marathon this year? Do both. And then how about a fall marathon? What are we going to do? Just because he, he got ninth last year in his debut in New York in 2013. Like, let, let's try again. Just because you had one. First of all, he's the fastest guy ever in the half marathon. Uh, not true. Jacob Kiplimo has the world record. So he beat him by one second again? Oh, by the way, happy birthday. It was, oh, never mind. I thought it was yesterday. I mean, 71 days ago. I apologize. But... <laughs> <laughs> He's, he used to have the world record. He lost, he lost it by like one second or something. Do you guys know what the world record is per mile and per 10K? 57 what, John? 5731. Isn't that like... Is it for, per 10K? Is it like 2730 pace? Yeah, I was going to say somewhere around 2730 and about... I don't know what that is. 
425. It's 423.2 per mile. It's 27.15 pace. Oh my God. It's amazing. So anyways, I take it back. I'm thrilled that he's doing this because I actually do think if he had the proper coaching, he has to be a metal threat. And you know me, Weldon. I don't want Americans, any white guys meddling. I love my African brothers and sisters. So if he's in there, this is bad news for Grant Fisher because. <laughs> Wait a second. You're saying if he had the proper coaching, this guy has set the world record in the half marathon. He won the Kenyan trials with a terrific performance at altitude. You're worried about his coaching though? Yes. Did you see what he, he wins the Kenyan trials? He comes over here and then he gets spanked at this Peachtree Road race. And then he runs the Commonwealth Games, 10,000 meters, and gets third in 27.20 in a 27.09 race. He lost to a guy who was like 16th in the 5K of Worlds. We got this, the silver medalist. I forgot that guy's name. But so. But yeah, John said it's more lucrative and he sticks to the roads. Maybe because you can do like like two marathons a year. But I think the superstars, John, the people, a lot of those guys established themselves as names over the last name, last two decades. They've done both. Like Bekele. Kipchoge. Kipchoge even. Mo Farah, like he gets paid at the marathon, even though he hasn't run that great ones because of his track credentials. So I think to be a true superstar, it's best if you do both. And I'm excited he's going to do the track, do the track in the spring, do a fall marathon. I don't know. I think you can still do both. But Turgot's probably saying, like, look, I think this helped me with my career. It'll help yours. So, okay. I've changed my mind then. I guess it's good. It just seems weird that a guy's been doing roads the whole life comes back to the track at age 26. See y'all next week. Yeah. See you, Robert. We'll do a quick Brussels preview here. Like Robert said, well, then there are a couple of things. I'm definitely excited to see what Grant Fisher runs. It, we don't have this confirmed that it's an American record attempt, but it's a fast field. They usually have the, I think they will have the pacing lights. Uh, we've got Oscar Chalimo and Jacob Kropp, who both medaled in the 5,000 at Worlds. We've got Nicholas Camelli, who ran 1246 earlier this year. Joe Klecker and Woody Kincaid are in there as well. Stanley and Buru, who medaled in the 5K, sorry, in the 10K at World Championships. Uh, Thierry and Dikum Wenayo. I'm pronouncing that very slowly, but he won the 3K, the Burundi guy, um, a couple weeks ago on the Diamond League circuit. He's in this race. A lot of fast guys. So that's why I'm expecting this could be a fast race. And Grant Fisher, given he just ran 728 in Monaco, I think that's, and he ran 12.53 indoors. He was fractions of a second off of the American record in the 5,000. Certainly it's possible if it's the right, you know, if the race takes off. Also, Kibwa Kandye running the one hour run at this meet. So I think he's targeting the world record held by Mo Farah on the track. So those are a couple of the storylines. Anything else stand out to you from this meet, Weldon, that you're excited for? Well, one, I'm glad Fisher didn't break the record indoors. I want the, I think the indoor and outdoor record should be separate. Outdoors is harder, I think, actually now in the 5K. So, yes or no, John? You think he'll get it? 
I'm going to go yes. I'll say this. If the winning time is faster than the American record, I think Grant Fisher will break the American record. That gives me an out in case the race goes slow and no one goes with the pacer. But if people get after it, and we, even in Monaco, you know, we saw he, Grant was sort of hanging back, but the race was fast enough, even though he wasn't with the leaders, it was fast enough you could run it with a smart race. Yeah. If it's fast race, I think he gets it. It's going to be a great meet. 2 to 4 p.m. Friday. Yeah. There's a couple other highlights. Dos Santos, 400 hurdles. Oh, John, after the whole podcast, you're talking how the big three aren't racing each other. You have one of them in there. You're, you're hyping that as a highlight. No, that's not a highlight. It's a nice little addition to the meet. Women's 100 meters. I mean, if, if Shakari runs fast in this Lucerne meet, then you got Shakari and her good buddies, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price and Sharika Jackson. I mean, oh, yes. I hope these girls really don't like each other. Or at least play it up for the media. You need rivalries or some tension. At least on the track, hate each other. Go out and have drinks afterwards and be great buddies. But like the tension between them last year at Pre was awesome. The sport needs more rivalries like that. So I want Shakari to run well and Cern to come into this meet like, oh, wow, can she beat Shelly and Fraser Price or Sharika? Um, so that's a great one. Women's steeple in McCoburn. I, I didn't think that what you were in 907 at that other race. I thought that wasn't that great, but you guys are like, look, maybe she can get the nine by the end of the season. So she's got, I think, the silver and bronze medalists from the Olympics. Oh, excuse me, world champs in this one. So she should be pushed. Is Courtney Weymouth in it or not? I didn't. No, Weymouth season's over. Frerix is in there. She had a disaster in Monaco. So does she have anything left? I think I was. I thought it was a good run for Emma Coburn, and. You know, if she can make a little progress, again, she's not going to be that far off of where she was earlier in the seasons. It's a little weird Nora Gerudo isn't running any of these Diamond League meeks after the World Championships. I'll just say, hmm, about that. Uh, I, I think this Men's 800 is going to be good, or as good as the Men's 800 can be these days. Marco Arock, Mariona Garcia, who just won Euros. Jake Whiteman, the second placer at Euros. So they've got a rematch. You've also got the world champ, Emmanuel Correa, and you've got the silver medalist from Worlds... Sajadi of Algeria. So we'll see if they can go fast, but we've got a lot of talent in that race. And then women's 1500, Laura Muir is probably the headline here, but from an American's perspective, you've got Heather McLean, who's been on fire, Corey McGee, Sinclair Johnson, they're all in there. So they have a chance to do well. Yeah, that's basically what I'm excited about. Last chance to qualify for the final. As Weldon said, Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Are we going to be doing a post-meet show on that one, Weldon? Probably, right? I'm hoping so. I'm at the in-laws, so I need to actually inform my wife and the in-laws. Friday, 5 p.m., which is like quitting time for everybody. I'll be recording a live, live show, but we should do it. Live show, Supporters Club podcast. You guys, if you like this podcast, we have a second podcast. We broke down, right? We. John and Robert broke down Lasan excellently. Like we have a second podcast every week. We don't recap everything again on here. If you're true track and feels the end, you got to join. Join for a year. You get a free Let's Run t-shirt. They're the softest shirts in the business. I'm sporting my shirt in Bermuda, John. People love that shirt. And I'm going to look up the stats next time. Most people, John, are, are yearly subscribers. So everyone who's joined, thank you. Um... And the women's 15, John, I think Heather McLean 
what was that Monaco? Yeah, Monaco, right? She went from 11th place to second place. We talked about it more on the Supporters Club podcast. Tremendous run. That was her first sub four too, right? 358? Yeah, three second PB. So now that's out there. She's done it. What's going to happen this time? You know, some people then, there's more pressure. They're like, oh my God, I've run 358. I should contend for the win of this thing. Because that one, <laughs> she wasn't trying to win, obviously, right? You're 11 to the bell. <laughs> I mean, and you get second. So now if she tries to go out a little harder, a little more up front, you know, could she challenge Laura Muir or something like that? So she's kind of been and overlooked, I think, she, you know, behind her training partner, Ellie Perrier. So I think if she has another good one here, it's like, look out. Like, she, she's really one to watch. And you got Sinclair Johnson again. So I think she'll probably want a little redemption in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Some of McLean's best races have sort of been coming from behind, running people down. How will she handle this now that she's got that 358 next to her name? Does she just sit back or does she go on Muir's shoulder? Because we know Muir usually likes to run from the front. And Muir is coming off Commonwealth gold, Euro gold. She ran 355 in Eugene. We know she's pretty fit. I, I mean, I still think Muir has to be the, the pick here, but that is going to be interesting to watch. And you've got, you know, you've got some decent Ethiopians in here as well for Rainy Hailu. Axum Wet and Bai have both run 358 this year. Deriba Well Teje has run 356. So it's really going to be can Heather McLean mix it up with the with the Ethiopians and and Laura Muir here. And then yeah, can Johnson rebound? Was that just a one-off poor race for her? She just come up, she PR'd last week in uh in Lausanne in the 800. So I think she's still got some good run in her. Can she go back to the 358 form? She showed it pre. Yeah. I mean, in Monaco, she's ahead of Heather McLean at the bell. So if you want to look at it positively, she she just wasn't her best day. She didn't have that great of a last lap. Yeah. Heather did. So could she bounce back a couple weeks later? I don't see why not. All right. Well, then, I think that's going to do it for us this week. I mean, about one hour from now, Brendan Hovalbian will be traveling to Fulham with the chance to go top of the Premier League for the first time in the club's 122-year history. So hopefully it'll be a great night of celebrations in London. Well, John, you guys did go top for about four minutes on in-game in Crystal Palace. We found that out and we immediately let Manchester City scorch just so you guys wouldn't be top of the league. So thank uh, you, okay, Crystal Palace. Excuse. Sure, sure. But no, people, you got to be watching the tennis. Support Rojo's... Well, they were girls when he met him. Now they're women. Venus is playing today, John. I mean, this girl gets no respect. She's playing at 2 p.m. today. Well, where's the big celebration for her? I guess because she, she has announced her retirement. But 2 p.m. today, Venus will Well, actually, that's in 45 minutes from now. So she'll have already played when she listened to this. And she's been losing all of her singles matches. So, hey, root for them in the doubles. All right. Until next week. Until Friday. Let'srun.com slash subscribe if you want our Brussels Diamond League breakdown in your podcast feed. And 20% savings in running shoes and a free t-shirt if you join for a year. This isn't some cheap t-shirt. This is a great t-shirt. Check it out today. Let'srun.com slash subscribe.